0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly dose of all that's important around the hotel investment space, as uh, the regular tag team here at Hotel Analyst review things for you. With me, I have Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and my name is Chris Bound. I am the editor at Hotel Analyst. And as ever, there is more written about what you're going to hear about uh, on our Uh, website and distributed to our subscribers. Uh, Do pop along to hotelanalyst.co.uk to find out more. This week we're going to start by looking at uh, one of the kind of issues around commercial real estate at the moment which is what to do with buildings that nobody wants at least in their current format. Uh, If you are an owner of retail space at the moment that's really not a very good place to be even compared to owning a hotel which might have been through some bad times in the last 18 months at least hotels are looking like they're bouncing back if you own a shopping center maybe less so so uh, we've been having a a look this week at um, what happens if you try to convert your unwanted retail space uh, perhaps a a tired or dead department store into uh, something that works a bit better maybe a hotel there's been quite a few projects uh, have come live and many more are in planning, converting uh, existing retail space, either big department stores or perhaps parts of retail high streets, into hotel space. Uh, on the face of it seems like quite a good thing to do because it's obviously uh, it's high footfall area, it's in amongst other important infrastructure, usually transport, uh, bars, restaurants nearby perhaps. Um, but it's perhaps not all that easy to uh, do uh, convincingly because once you start taking a closer look at these uh, buildings they've got deep floor plates uh, they may not be all that easy to convert Um, we had a chat with the uh, the guys at ECE over in uh, Germany who are uh, looking at this in fact they've got uh, one of their one of their specialists is actually a former hotelier and he's in there looking at uh, the opportunities they might have across their largely retail portfolio. Um, ECU also has a connection with the, the Ruby Hotel Group who are uh, expanding across Europe and have, have picked up several opportunities in town and city centres where they've taken on um, converted space to create their hotels. So an easy thing to produce perhaps maybe in concept but difficult to pull off in practice to get the uh, costings right so it all works but uh, more and more of them are appearing
1: yeah certainly a thing um, the question remains how big a thing so, if we look back almost a year ago, uh, JLL was saying in its property predictions, twenty twenty one, they reckoned there were eighty thousand obsolete shops in the UK, and that um, and they um, and that by twenty thirty they would need to go, um, and that's about twenty percent of the overall market. Um, by the start of 2021, when they published this report, they said that some 20,000 have already gone, almost a quarter of the total that needed to go by 2030. Um, what COVID had done, as we've said, it's an accelerant, not a change agent. This, the change was happening in retail, and COVID has accelerated this hugely. So, mm, you know, and, and I think we're going to see this, this, this really speed up. Um, but. It, what you were saying Chris about just how tricky it is I think that reality is going to make it quite hard for um, wholesale switches into hotels or, or general um, operational real estate sort of property um, they simply there's you know a lot of these buildings just ain't going to make it easily and they're going to have to be knocked down or major changes happen. And I think more likely is stuff such as residential um, than hotel or student accommodation, all that kind of stuff. so and, and even there, it's I think I think it's it's quite tricky if you've got an old um, uh, department store building um, and so on. It, they're they're hard things to change. Where you've got really high value sites, so we've seen some of this with the the talk of what's going on at the moment, say with Selfridges, where you know the top floors are going to be converted into a hotel. You can see that, but when you're talking about uh, retail property stuck out in the the boonies it's less obvious to see how that is easily converted to to a hospitality use not the least of which is because after in the boonies they don't need so much hospitality anyway Um, so I think that is going to prove a challenge but net net yes we will see an increase of it it's just probably not going to be that rapid. I think um, this in the last month or so, uh, Knight Frank uh, published his own uh, report, Retail Property Market Outlook 2022. And they said on repurposing, and I'm going to quote them, actual retail repurposing activity is still failing to match the level of narrative. And I think that sums it up. There's a lot of talk about it. It's quite a sexy topic to discuss but when push comes to shove most sites simply aren't going to make it um you know it's just not a financially viable conversion um i think the bigger impact though and there is going to be a bigger impact with this switch um Uh, away from retail as an as a uh, asset class which is what what's happening at the moment so you've got the big three commercial real estate asset classes and within that you've got retail which is looking decidedly wonky at the moment you've got a a degree of question mark over offices i think you know we've spoken about this before i think Mm -hmm. it's overdone there's no question that there is a you know question mark on um, offices and probably only industrial which has been sort of soaring away particularly with warehousing and the growth of e-commerce which is sort of the flip to uh, uh, um, the the retail decline in a way isn't it the warehouse growth Um, but uh, there is an element to which a lot of people are saying well you know we've we've probably already seen the repricing of that industrial has been repriced to to reflect the the strong outlook Um, and another report we've had loads of things come out obviously with this year-end thing but nuveen the um asset manager the um investment manager they they said um in their outlook for real estate five themes for 2022 um they said what the historic trend of, um, and i quote them, beating the market just by overweighting the sector with the strongest occupier tailwinds is a strategy past its peak in our view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with that. And I think this is actually overall um, pretty good news for um hospitality for for hotels because i think you know we've always been seeing something of a cinderella uh sector up against the office and the retail and the uh um, industrial um we, we were the small the small sector but i think now because um, investors are going to have to roll their sleeves up and get stuck into the granularity of individual assets. It positions us better, I think, in terms of having a fair fight and getting a fair share of what's going on. Um, and interestingly, what another thing that Newveen said, um, and well, it's it's quite um, uh, well, how should we say corporate speak, but uh, I'll quote it anyway. It says alternatives that leverage expected future macro themes may see structurally low risk premia in relatively immature markets and even for relatively illiquid assets with complex structures <laughs> explain i take <laughs> yeah. yeah i i take that now i think there's <laughs> probably a few interpretations of that but i take that to mean that uh, that you know the the tricky sectors like hotels are actually going to be finding favor so we've had this slightly tricky reputation i mean we've been gradually losing it over the the last decade or so to be fair but i think uh, you know other operational real estate asset classes which are even more novel than hotels and this is very helpful kind of um, trend within property investment i would suggest Um, and you know they're going to get down into rather than simply saying oh it's it's not uh, retail or it's not uh, office which we're comfortable with it's something more exotic um, what they're going to care about is you know not that uh, um, asset class but it's you know it's it's that risk return and liquidity of the specific asset is what's going to be examined and this gives I think ho- hotels uh, uh, a fairer a shout at what's what's going to be happening out there in the marketplace and I think overall this is going to lead to uh, more allocation towards hotels and other uh, operational real estate asset classes. So net net a good thing I would suggest but not probably for the reasons you know you might expect for a headline about um, conversions (laughs) in in retail slightly different take on it Mm.
0: now the uh, the pandemic has seen lots of creativity essentially real estate sector uh, particularly around the whole business of landlords and their tenants and how they cope with the fact that for many months, uh, and several months in in some cases, uh, retail, uh, hospitality, and various other parts of the economy have been unable to operate as normal. What do you do if you've got uh, no income coming in? Uh, How can you pay rent? Uh, What can your landlord do to help you out? There's been a a series of of deployed to solve this particular thorny issue. Um, In many cases, leases have been uh, somewhat rewritten, perhaps uh, lengthened, perhaps some changes have been made to some of the terms and conditions and the details within them. Um, But we've seen a a slightly unusual take on uh, all of that in the last few weeks because uh, Secure Income REIT, which is a a listed REIT in the UK, has uh, uh, agreed an extension of leases with one of its uh, leisure tenants, Merlin, uh, but unusually has actually Paid them uh, for the uh, the privilege of extending those leases, so uh, basically buying them buying in a longer income stream. Uh, it's it's an interesting transaction. It's been described as a win-win by both parties. Uh, Merlin gets some cash to spend on perhaps a new ride or two. at one of their amusement parks um, and the landlord has paid to as I say have a, a longer runway of guaranteed income into the future, uh, which you know if you're running a REIT, it's all about security of uh, income over a longer term future. So a, an interesting take uh, on the latest in negotiations that, uh, that the pandemic has thrown up and I don't know if it's going to be repeated. I don't know if uh, Secure Income REIT are going to do something similar with another of their tenants, uh, who, of course, are Travelodge. Um, We'll see.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that about Travelodge, Chris, because I would argue that, in a way, Travelodge has already done it. Mm -hmm. So what happened was they did their CVA and they didn't pay rent um, on a, a... Few of the uh, hotels, and they got a uh, uh, saved a bit more rent on a few others. Um, and in return, they offered their landlords an extension to their leases. Mm-hmm. Now, what's happened with Merlin is that um, they simply deferred much of their rent, um, but then Secure Income Reek sort of had a chat and uh, agreed look, we'll extend the the leases and the upside for us will share with you in the form of cash um well that's exactly what's happened with travel lodge isn't it with the cva effectively they've kind of shared they've sort of forced it on their landlords Mm -hmm. (laughs) whereas it's been a nice a nicer more civilized (laughs) way um with merlin they've sort of sat down and you know um had a cup of tea and said well look i think this is the the best way forward um and you know but essentially got to the same outcome Mm. in both cases Mm -hmm. so it's very different to the uh, cva travel lodge did back in 2012 because back in 2012 that cva um there were a number of hotels which um uh, Lodge just exited not quite as many as initially said as it turns out but there were a few where it just sort of walked away cancelled the leases a whole bunch of others where it um, just imposed a, a, a rent cut now what the problem was that um, Lodge had gone in and struck a bunch of deals um, in terms of its leases where it simply over played its hand and agreed to pay too much rent and that it wasn't economically sustainable this time around in 2020 for the cva it wasn't a case that the rents were unsustainable in normal conditions it's just that we'd had this bonkers um sort of lockdown scenario which just me- meant that we couldn't uh, you know that travel lodge are unable to pay their rents but as we get out of this it's uh clear that travel lodge are going to be able to pay the rents and if you look at some of the numbers um you know i mean i think uh secure income Reap point out that travel lodge were outperforming in the in q3 um outperforming same set of numbers in q3 2019 so it's quite clear that travel lodge is bouncing back very sharply um there's probably been a bit of a dip from omicron but um this year I think it's going to be a very strong year for Travel Lodge as it will for for most other um, certain economy hotel groups I think this week we write about although we're not talking about in this podcast we do write about Whitbread and how strong they're looking for for 2022 and this 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 factors in here I think as well so what what you've got uh, net net then is a situation which has turned out the same way um, but um, which way would you rather do it I'd rather do it with a cup of tea and a, a nice resolution without actually going to the you know ha- hacking off a whole bunch of people by saying we're we're not paying you any more rent. It's just uh, it's it's just a little bit too aggressive, and I think there are ways to solve these problems. And I think looking more broadly at the market now, I think you know let's have more sitting down with cups of tea um, to resolve this debt overhang that exists um, with regard to rent. Landlords are going to have to take some of the pain, and operators are going to you know, and well they have taken the pain, um, but uh, um, we'll have to adjust um, to to that level of pain as well. So it's gotta be a a sharing of that, but at the same time, a sharing of the upside. And the obvious answer is if you're gonna keep with a fixed lease, Um, um, structure is to extend those leases now for some landlords that probably you know they might not want that they might want to get rid of the tenant altogether Mm -hmm. but that will lead to it but i think we're going to see this i mean we've got currently winding its way through um, parliament at the moment in between parties no doubt (laughs) is the commercial is is the commercial rent coronavirus bill um, which is um, going to talk about how they're going to deal with this uh this debtor overhang because uh, obviously the rent moratorium um, for commercial tenants uh, that ends on the 25th of March in the UK um, and the rent becomes due um, but this is uh, the, the government's trying to put forward a, a way to resolve this through arbitration rather than through um, through um, you know expensive lawyers um, but surely even better than arbitration. Um, which still isn't worked out exactly how that's going to work um, is a cup of tea, I would suggest.
0: And while you get the kettle on, we'll talk about our next subject, uh, which is uh, the German tour group TUI, uh, who revealed uh, in, in a publication with a with a publication in the last week or so that they are looking to uh, get back together with some investment partners and rebuild their involvement in uh, hotel development and investment. Um, Two, we've had a really tough time through the pandemic. Uh, their business had to kind of substantially close. Yet they they've got massive overheads uh, around um, hotel commitments, uh, cruise ship commitments, aircraft uh, airlift commitments. Um, so they they had to rely on quite a bit of uh, bailing out. Uh, to get themselves through the uh, pandemic, and uh, they also had to divest themselves of some of their uh, existing assets, including selling down some of their commitments to uh, to hotels. Uh, however, they are now kind of dusted themselves off, uh, looking forward to a 2022 where they'll be able to sell a decent number of package holidays and experiences, and um, now looking to basically team up with uh, investment partners. Uh, They reckon they've got an appetite for perhaps a hundred or more new hotels uh, And they're looking to do a sort of similar Partnership with a funding partner to add some more cruise ships to their their fleet So keen to get back into things
1: Yeah, what was that German publication that um, the strategy director at TUI talked to Chris? Wirtschaftswoche there you go. Oh, you're too good, you see. You're better than I was with my Spanish last week. It was very good. Um, very impressive. <laughs> um, so uh, it's interesting. Two E. So here we have the, the, the big dog of um, tour operators um, and it's a kind of a operation safe big dog (laughs) um, for tour operators going on here at the moment you know our view has long been that the vertical integration um, that TUI was pushing towards was a sensible move Um, I mean TUI sells it um, in that it it is able to deliver end-to-end personalised offerings. It gives it the control and gives it the return um, through owning its assets, whether they're hotels, where it's the biggest slice of the assets it owns, or indeed the cruise ships, or the other other giant slice of assets it owns. Um, but of course, this the huge problems the cash flow crisis that's been created by the pandemic lockdowns um, has meant that it's had to um, you know sell off um, these assets and the biggest lot so far has been the JV with um, Rui um, and it Got some cash um, through that. Um, obviously, all the cash is had from the German government and various fundraisings. That's a two fundraisings as well from shareholders. Um, but actually, interesting. There's something that uh, Morgan Stanley pointed out with uh, TUI um, in that fundraising. It saw Unifirm, which is uh, um, the company controlled by Russian billionaire Alexei Mordashov. Um, that meant he. Um, got a his stake grows up to 32% and this triggered a change of control clause and the big vulnerability here with that is that TUI could be forced to sell its uh, 50% holding in another JV business with the Rui family and it's a much more important JV business that actually delivers 30% of group profit. Um, now if it has to quit that that's a massive blow to TUI um, and as TUI in its strategy uh, presentation points out it, it's, it's all about um, getting bigger and being able to exploit scale um, and obviously if you're going to suddenly shrink by a third that that hampers that quite a quite a bit um, and we've already seen um, over the last year or so people like Amazon in the, in the UK jet 2 and easyJet holidays they've been growing um Significantly faster than TUI, well TUI in fact hasn't been growing; it's been shrinking, um, and so there has been a sli- uh, you know already a bit of a rebalancing going on in the tour operator operator space there. But it's also you know if TUI's weakened, that also I think gives resort hotels room to expand as well. So I think uh, you know um, I mean a, a shrunken TUI um, is possibly a net positive for the overall tourism industry, um, and in a way I think. Um, you know people outside of um, TUI are going to be hoping that indeed that uh, it is forced to sell off the, the, the JV it currently has as Morgan Stanley warned it might have to so one to watch I think but uh, again um, you know what, what we're seeing is a, it's a slight rebalancing thanks to um, post pandemic issues
0: Now on to our weekly awards and Andrew I believe you're giving five stars out for a bit of diversity this week
1: Yes, indeed. So um, we are seeing. So it's it, it's something which um, I, I think overall our sector isn't too bad in terms of some aspects of diversity, but certainly in terms of uh, female boardroom diversity, um, it's it's not the worst, but it's certainly not the best either. Um, and you know we've struggled seeing uh, women um, you know advance um, in the way they should be advancing um and it's great to see that for the first time um ihg is hiring a would you call her a chairman i think you can call her a chairman it's better than chair i think or chairperson i don't know anyway so they've got a uh, they're bringing in a, a woman as a, a um, as a chairperson um so which is um, great news um, she used to be on the board of I don't know if she was on the board but she's certainly a director with Whitbread in the oh, dim right. and distant actually so she has some um, previous hotel experience.
0: Diana Diana Oppenheimer is actually announced officially by the company as incoming chairman designate so there you go it's it's okay ah, chairman there we
1: go way. yeah 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 good 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 she never uh. quite know <laughs> um but um, Absolutely. yeah
0: and you're the forecasters i believe this week
1: yeah well we've talked before about how poor the well they don't claim their forecasters this is sage so this is the government's um sort of scientific so sort of scientific advisory group for emergencies um and they um produce um models on outcomes um um for coronavirus and the thing is they've only been producing very negative models and they've been spectacularly wrong they were wrong in um july um, when they forecast how bad things were going to get when England um went into so the re, when England removed nearly all of its uh, restrictions they got that spectacularly wrong um they got the you know and they they forecast another upsurge in in september october which again never happened and with omicron they went really <laughs> off the charts um and got it spectacularly wrong again um Um, i mean the government the uk government held its nerve in certainly in england anyway um sadly i think in your neck of the woods chris over in wales um, mark drakeford (laughs) as but he's now u-turned and dear old nicola sturgeon has as well in scotland she's um she's u-turned as well and said okay we don't um still claiming that of course their restrictions held down cases when in fact they did nothing well doesn't seem to be any difference whether you're in england or scotland Mm. or wales actually they all seem to be at the same so you do wonder what what's the point of the restrictions which i hope is a, a lesson that's going to be learned anyway so there's there's that which is um those set of forecasters at sage um not forecasters what are modelers whatever you want to call them um, we've got it spectacularly wrong the other lot um that uh, um, okay. i want to sort of point <laughs> the finger at yeah is um the o- o- office of budget responsibility who are coming out with outlandish levels of um, unemployment now i have to say um i did concur with them um at the outset of this downturn um i thought we were going to have a monstrous um, situation with regard to unemployment um but i did change my tune earlier than they did um and um You know their forecasts for unemployment have been way off the mark, and as we all know, as anybody um, trying to hire people at the moment will know, it's very very difficult. And you know we're seeing very significant wage increases um, as a result of um, the difficulty in hiring, and the OBR just got it spectacularly wrong, which didn't really help. uh, planning i i i would suggest so um yeah so i think our economic modelers our um uh, virus epidemic modelers um they need to go back to school i think and uh, um try and trying um, to correct their models because they've not delivered what and they promised.
0: we'll say goodbye for now